Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you. I uh, hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving and uh, were able to be with loved ones and, and friends. And uh, it's so good to be with you today. We are in week two of our Allegiance series. And listen, this is the last week you have to do with me because next week we have Eric Harris back in the house, y'all. And so I hope you are looking forward to having him back. Uh, if you're not, that's not a very good thing. You should be looking forward to having him back. Um, but we're so excited to have him back from his sabbatical. And I just really quickly, church, uh, I've mentioned this before, but as a, as a PK, my dad's a pastor of worship at a church I grew up in. Um, and I just want to say from that perspective, it is so healthy and so wonderful what we have done as a church in giving Eric a sabbatical these last couple of months. And so I like just seeing that side of ministry as a son of a preacher or, or, or a pastor, I can tell you this is such a beautiful thing that we've done giving him a sabbatical. And I look forward to seeing the fruit from it in the months to come. But for today, I'm who you've got. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And so I'd invite you to open to 2 Samuel chapter 9 as we continue this allegiance study. And as we get started, I have a question I want to ask you um, to consider. Uh, have you ever... Uh, been loyal to something that lets you down very quickly? Have you ever given your loyalty to something and it lets you down really quickly? All the Oklahoma State fans in the room, they know what we're talking about here, right? And even though we'll be playing on Saturday, we're all like holding our breath knowing that that could be very embarrassing. Hopefully not though, right? But have you ever been loyal to something that lets you down very quickly? When I think about this, I think of a story that I've shared with our students before in youth on a Wednesday night. Um, but a few years ago, I got sucked into the Starbucks loyalty reward program. I don't know if there's anybody in here who go after the stars um, for Starbucks loyalty. Um, I know, I'm basic, right? But I got sucked into this reward program a few years ago. And, and here's how it works. For every dollar you spend at Starbucks, they give you stars, right? Not actual stars, but these little stars, and you get enough stars, and you can get like a free drink, right? Uh, each star's worth, I mean, it's like maybe worth pennies kind of thing, right? And they do these things, they do these like star dash reward things where it's like, hey, get this drink, this drink, and this drink in like this window of time, and you'll get 75 extra bonus stars or something like that. And I remember I got sucked into it so badly that when those reward programs, those things would come up, I would, um, I would do them. I'd, I'd buy three different drinks in a week just to get those extra 50 stars that were worth like maybe 10 cents. I don't know. But I remember one time I, I had done one of these rewards. I'd gotten the three drinks in the amount of time. And you know what happened? I didn't get my extra stars. Right? And I remember the, the disappointment, the the angst, right? This holy anger in me. You told me if I get these drinks, you'd give me these stars. And so you know what I did? I got on my phone. This is how enraged I was. As a millennial, I made a phone call, (laughs) okay? And I called the Starbucks store, and they said, this is a Starbucks on Gaston Avenue. What can we do for you, blah, blah, blah. And I told this employee, answered the phone, said, hey, here's the thing. Like, I just did the star dash but I didn't get the points, and I, I need these stars. Where are they at? And I, so I explained this whole long story to this employee, and this employee goes, um, 
here, let me, let, me, let me get my manager on the phone. And so, like, I'm on hold, right? Right? And then the manager picks up the phone. Hi, this is the manager at Starbucks on Gaston. What can I do for you, right? And I tell them this whole long story again of how I, I did these things. I got these drinks, but my stars never showed up on my app. And I don't know, like, where these stars at. And, and um, after I finish my story, there's this long pause. And the manager then finally says, so, sir, what is it you're asking me? And so I said, I just want my stars. <laughs> and as those words left my, ma my mouth, I realized something. I was a 25-year-old man on a phone with a Starbucks employee demanding my stars. <laughs> and so I just said, uh, never mind, and I hung up, and I, I like, didn't go to Starbucks for like an entire month. I was like, it let me down so bad. I was so mad about this loyalty program because Starbucks let me down, but I was even more so mad because I had let it suck me in, right? It had drawn me in. I had drank the Kool-Aid. I had drank the pumpkin spice latte of Starbucks, and it had gotten me. We've probably all had these times in our lives where we get sucked into something silly like a Starbucks reward program and it lets us down. I'm sure if you were to think about it, you had these moments in your life. But here's the reality and here's the point of the story. We're all, every single one of us, we're giving our time, our energy, our resources, we're giving our lives, we're giving our allegiance to something. And the very last thing we want to do is give our loyalty, give our allegiance, give ourselves to something just to wake up one day or to get to the end of our lives and realize we had wasted it. None of us wants to do that. And this morning, here's what I want us to see, and this is so important for us to see. This morning, I want us to see this. Jesus is a greater king who is worthy of our allegiance, who is worthy of our lives. And we're going to see it in this story here in 2 Samuel chapter 9 as we continue our allegiance series this morning. So if you recall, um, last week we were in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we looked at this relationship between David, who had become the king of Israel, and Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was the, at the time the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And last week we focused on Jonathan's allegiance towards David, okay? This week, we're going to see the type of king that David was. We're going to see how worthy um, David was of this allegiance that Jonathan had placed in him. And so from last week's text in 1 Samuel 20 to this week in 2 Samuel chapter 9, here's what's happened. David's kingdom has been established. He has gone from running in 1 Samuel 20 to here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. His kingdom has been established. He's sitting on the throne. Jonathan and Saul, they've died in battle. He's, David's risen to power and the kingdom is finally his. It completely belongs to him. And in 2 Samuel 7, David's kingship and throne, it's again been promised by God. He's been set up as this messianic figure to Israel, this great high king to Israel. And today, in today's text, what we're going to see is we're going to see an interaction between two individuals. We're going to see an interaction between David, the king, 
the rightful king who has risen to power, and we're going to see his interaction with a man named Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. And here's what I'm hoping we're going to see. I'm hoping this morning what we see in David and Mephibosheth's relationship, I'm hoping it will impact us of how we view ourselves and Jesus as we recognize how Jesus is a greater king for us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read through the whole text. It's 13 verses. And then we're going to come back and I have some observations I want us to make. So starting in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and following, it says this. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So this right here out the gate is completely out of the ordinary for what we'd expect during this time. During this time in history, and we see it oftentimes in today's history as well, but if a king were to rise to power, a, a new monarchy were to rise to power, what a monarchy would do is they would find every person they could of the previous monarchy and obliterate them, kill them, get them out of the way because they're competition. They would come in, they would find them, they'd hunt them down, and they'd kill them. But what we find here is this. David has risen to power, and instead of seeking somebody from the last monarchy to get rid of them, he says, is there anybody who I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? It says, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. So Ziba, he would have been considered like the manager of Saul's household, the one who would have taken care of his house while he's away. It says, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Verse 3, and the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul, this is so important, listen to this, that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, he is crippled in his feet. Now, if we were to go back just a few chapters in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we would have seen the story of Saul and Jonathan falling in battle. And in that story, it tells us that um, the maid or the, the nurse to Jonathan's oldest son, Mephibosheth, she takes off running with him to hiding. And on the way, she drops him as a small child and it cripples him in his feet. And so there's this son of Jonathan who's crippled in his feet from when this nurse was fleeing with him after Saul and Jonathan had died. Because what this nurse knows and what everybody reading this passage or hearing the story knows is that when a monarchy falls, everybody in that line dies. And here David is seeking them out as a new king. It says in verse 4, and the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Says then, King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. So, quickly, let's just catch this real quick. Lodabar places, we name places based on, like, their significance, significance geographically, okay? So, Lodabar, it literally, it means, like, no pasture, or nowhere, or there's nothing there. So this son of Jonathan who was an heir to a throne, where is he to be found? He's to be found literally in the middle of nowhere. That's where he's at. That's his situation. That's the place he can be found. I, actually, I think we've got a nowhere Oklahoma. Do we have a nowhere Oklahoma? 
I think we do somewhere. I don't know if anything's there, right? But that's where this guy's at. He's basically nowhere. He's a place of complete insignificance. It says, verse 6, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, says, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. It says, And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. It says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for listen to this, I will show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Why would he fear? Because he's literally in front of the king who just took over from the last kingship. He knows this king should probably just kill him. He says, but I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Listen to this. Not only will I show him kindness, he says this. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. He says, and you shall eat at my table always. Verse 8, Mephibosheth. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So says, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. It says, And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce. You shall serve him. He says, That your master's grandson may have bread to eat, may have provision. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, he's not going to be found out in the field with you. He shall always eat at my table. It says, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands a servant, so will your servants do. It says, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table, listen to this, like one of the king's sons. Verse 12, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So we have this remarkable story of this King David with Mephibosheth, who by all means, David should kill Mephibosheth. But instead, what we see is we see this kindness that David extends towards Mephibosheth to show us what kind of a king David really is. But as we look at this, as we see this story, what I want us to do is I want us to first start by looking at Mephibosheth's circumstances. Because he went from a place of being at the complete bottom to being right at the top. And the difference in his situation, the, the trajectory change that happened in his life occurred when he encountered King David. But let's look at his circumstances. First, Mephibosheth is found with no position of worth. Yet he ends positioned as a son of the king. He was the heir of a failed throne. He was running for his life. And where does he end up? He ends up being placed at the king's table. He goes from being completely unknown to where at the beginning of the story, David says, is there even anybody left of the house of Saul? Is there anybody left who I can show the kindness of God to? And they have to go, oh, well, there's this dude, Mephibosheth. He's, uh, you know, he's down in the middle of nowhere. He's lame in both feet, but he's there. And David says, bring him forward. And he goes from being nowhere, having no place, no position of worth, to all of a sudden he's positioned as a son of the king. 
He goes from no place to go to being placed back home. He was literally living in the middle of nowhere. Lodabar, no pasture, no thing, no hope. He was living in someone else's house. He was the guest in someone else's house. Most of you, many of you had guests in your house this week for the holidays, right? Can you imagine having them living with you for an extended period of time? This is the case of Mephibosheth. He was a guest in someone else's house. He didn't even have a home. And he went from being in hiding for his life to being restored to the home of his father. Can you imagine this? He would have been raised as a son of a king, but it was all lost the second his father and grandfather died. And all of a sudden, he went from being in hiding at a place where no one wanted to be to brought right back into that inheritance. He went from no provision for his needs to being provided for in full. He was completely at the mercy of another. He was incapable of providing for himself. And he suddenly is given all these servants who, catch this, should have been his servants to begin with as the heir to Saul's throne. But he's given these servants to make sure he has everything he needs. So he goes from no provision for his needs to provide it for in full. And listen to this. This is, this is the most important one here in the story. He goes from no prospects for the future to a promised inheritance. He goes from no prospects for the future to a promised inheritance. This is the most powerful picture in the story. And the author wants to be sure we understand it. Mephibosheth, listen to this, he was lame in both feet. The author, he mentions this at the beginning of the story, and he mentions it at the end of the story because it's so important for us to recognize this. Listen to this. Mephibosheth, he'd become physically crippled when his father's kingdom was crippled. If you remember, in chapter 4, when Saul and Jonathan died, his nurse runs away with him from the battlefield to put him into hiding, and on the way, as their kingdom has crumpled, his hopes for a future as a king have been crippled. He is dropped and he's crippled and left lame in the feet. He had physically been crippled when his father's kingdom was crippled. Mephibosheth's physical condition in these moments reflected his new lot in life and it was bleak. There was no hope for him. He went from having nothing, no future, to, listen to this, having a secured inheritance because of David. His father's land restored to him, a place at the king's table. But notice this at the end. He's still crippled. He still bears the physical limitations of his circumstances. But listen to this. Now he has an inheritance that's secured forever. And this complete change in Mephibosheth's circumstances... This 180 change in his trajectory for his life, it's all because of David. And so let's really quickly, let's turn our attention and let's see this king. And let's see David's character as a king. And if we look at David in this story, here's what we find. We find a king with integrity. David's kingdom is finally established. And instead of securing his kingdom by saying, let's find all of Saul's uh, Saul's lineage and kill them off. Instead of securing his kingdom even more, he seeks to make good on his covenant with Jonathan. He seeks to uphold what he promised Jonathan he would do. If you remember last week, we talked about how uh, David and Jonathan had entered into a covenant. And we talked about how a covenant, it's a solemn promise. 
And he had promised that God would be between Jonathan's descendants and his descendants forever. And that when his kingdom was established, instead of trying to destroy all of Jonathan's descendants, he would instead show kindness to them. And David, he seeks to uphold this promise. He doesn't have to. He's the king, for goodness sake. He can do whatever he wants. But he chooses to. David is true to his word. He can be counted on. Jonathan's dead. Jonathan's gone. David has no reason to uphold his word except for his integrity, except for who he is. We see that David, he's a king with intentional action. He seeks out the opportunity. He goes to great lengths to bring Ziba and the, to send someone to Lodabar to find Mephibosheth. There is action on David's part to be faithful to his promise. And let's be honest, like how many of us is there that kind of intentional action in our walk, in our lives? Like how often do we actually seek out to, to live in integrity or do we just say, well, if something comes along, I'll do the right thing. But how often do we actually seek the right thing? David, he was a king with intentional action. Listen to this. He was a king with intense love. We see his love towards Jonathan and towards Mephibosheth. David's love is one that goes the extra mile as he restores Mephibosheth. He doesn't have to restore Mephibosheth to the degree that he does, but he still does it. His love is one that draws in as he gives Mephibosheth a seat at the king's table. How many here have spent time at the kids' table at Thanksgiving? Right? Or maybe in your single years, I remember this, in your single years, you had to sit at the kids' table till you got a spouse or a girlfriend or whatever to be able to move up to the big people table, right? Like, we understand this, right? David's love drew Mephibosheth in. He was given a seat at the king's table, at a, a place of great regard. David's love, listen to this, it's one that takes risks. As he restores position and provision to the son of a previous monarchy. Like by all intents and purposes, that's not a wise move to give power right back to the people you just took power from. But he does it with Mephibosheth. His love, listen to this, it's one that lavishes kindness on Mephibosheth. And here's the last thing I want us to see about David that's so important. He's a king, listen to this, with indisputable authority. David says the word and it is done. David gives the command and Ziba and his entire household, they are enlisted to the service of Mephibosheth at the king's word. Mephibosheth, who had been disdained by, who would have been disdained by David's followers or would have been sought after by David's enemies, he's propped up as a son at the word of this king. He is a king with indisputable authority. These are the circumstances of Mephibosheth, and this is the character of David. But here, we need to consider this, and this is so important for us this morning, church, because this is the bridge to what I want us to see. We need to consider David's motivation. David's motivation, listen to this, it was to show the kindness of God to Jonathan's house. He says that in verse 3, to show the kindness of God to Jonathan's house. David isn't here giving us an example of his love or his kindness as a king, David is representing, he is showing Mephibosheth the same kindness that God had showed him. David is doing more than showing how great he is as a king. David 
is giving us a physical example of what the kindness of God looks like. And don't miss this, though. David shows Mephibosheth the same kindness of God that Jesus shows us. David shows Mephibosheth the same kindness of God that Jesus shows you. Listen to this. You and I, we were sons and daughters of a failed kingdoms. You and I, we were left crippled by sin. You and I were left in hiding with nowhere to go except for punishment. You and I were left with no prospects for future. And while we were in this state, separated from God, in hiding, crippled by sin, uh, loyal to failed kingdoms, the kindness of God was extended to us. Listen, Jesus, he faithfully came through on the promise of God to send rescue for us. That's what we're celebrating here at Christmas. Jesus intentionally pursued us by spanning the distance of heaven all the way to earth just to find us. Jesus has lavished the love of God upon us by restoring us, by bringing us into close relationship with God, by giving us a seat at the table of the God of creation. Jesus, listen to this, he has secured for us, you and I, if we believe in him, he's secured for us an eternal inheritance, an eternal home in the presence of the Father. And catch this, he has done it with an authority that is so undeniable, that is so indisputable, that even the grave itself obeys his word. You want to talk about authority? How about a God who says, The grave has no claim on these people, and the grave has to listen. And Jesus has given us that position of life, eternal inheritance with the God of creation. We see in David the kindness of God full and full display towards Mephibosheth, but what we see in Jesus is the kindness of God completely extended to us. So here's the question. Do you need to receive the kindness of God today? The wonderful thing about the kindness of God, the gospel of Jesus, is that it's extended to everyone. Are you hiding from God this morning? Are you living as a part of a failed kingdom, your own kingdom? Are you feeling completely alone and with nothing Are you feeling as worthy as a dead dog like Mephibosheth felt? Listen, the kindness of God has been extended to you. This is how beautiful the gospel is. It's not about who we are, what we've done, how significant we think we are. The gospel is about the goodness, the kindness of God towards us. Us. The story of Mephibosheth and David, it shows us how low the threshold is for who God desires to show his love towards. And he desires to show his love toward you today. Do you need to receive the kindness of God? Do you need to recognize your sin for what it is? To recognize how crippled you are before this God of the universe? To repent of these sins, to trust in Jesus, and to receive the kindness of a future inheritance with the God of creation that he has to offer to you today? Are you living in the reality of the kindness of God today? To, to the Christian who's here in this room today, have you 
who has been brought into relationship with God. Listen, provision has been made for us through Christ. A home has been prepared for us by Christ. The grave itself cannot beat us because of Christ. Live in that reality today, Christian. Do you truly believe that with your life? Is that changing what you are doing? Is that changing who you are as a person? Are you living like you have a hope that's set in eternity with Christ? How is God calling you to respond with your allegiance, with your life today? Christian, God not only saves us, but listen to this. He invites us to share his kindness and goodness with others. He says, hey, this kindness that you've received as a follower of Jesus, to be made an heir with an inheritance with the God of the universe, he says that kindness is extended to everyone. And if you've received it as a follower of Jesus, he says you were called to take that kindness to others. Is there somebody in your life today, believer, who needs to hear this hope of Jesus? Is there somebody in your life today who's hiding from God, who's running from God, who's chasing after their own kingdoms that are failed, that you need to come and extend the goodness and kindness of God to? Who is it in your life? Is there someone you need to display this goodness of God to with your words, with your actions, with your lives? If we really belong to him, the question is, are we living like we do? Because listen to this, y'all. Jesus is a greater king who is worthy of our allegiance. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy because of his intentional action, because of his intense love for us, because of his uh, indisputable authority. He is worthy because of his integrity. He is worthy because what our God says he will do, he does. He is worthy because what our God says about you is true, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Live in light of that reality today. Live like you believe it with your lives, like it's transformed you. And when we do that, we'll see the gospel transform the lives of people around us. What is he calling you to today? We're going to close out this time and I'm going to offer us a prayer and like last week what we're going to do is we're going to offer a prayer and it's going to be an open-ended prayer I'm not going to add an amen to it on the end because what I want you to do is as we close out our time I want you to take time to consider what we've talked about today for you to do business with God Maybe the reality is you do not have a relationship with God. You are hiding from God. And this morning, you need to respond to him. We'll offer you a time to do that here in a moment. Maybe in your life today, there are areas where even though you belong to God, even though you're a son or daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, you are holding things back from him. Maybe there are areas you are hiding from him that you don't want to show him, that you don't want to let him have? Will you give those things to him today? Maybe there's people that God's placed on your heart right now in these moments as you've considered the reality of this God who's loved you so much and you recognize how much this God loves these people around you. We're entering into a holiday season where we're going to be around friends, family, we're going to be around loved ones, and many of us will be sitting around dinner tables We'll be sitting in living rooms next to people who don't have this hope in their life. 
And maybe God's calling you this year, this season, to share the kindness of God with them. How is he calling you today? As we pray, I would ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Not because it's more holy, but to remove distractions. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to leave it in an open-ended prayer. And I'm going to ask you to just continue that prayer. And after a little while, Grant, he'll, he'll ask us to stand, and we'll sing a song of response. And when we sing that song of response, that's your invitation to respond however God is calling you today. Maybe it's to come forward to talk with the leader who will be down front or in the back. We'd love nothing more than to pray with you, to, to encourage you, and to point you to Jesus. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe you need to just stand and you need to sing with hands lifted high, recognizing this God who has showed his kindness to you. But do you need to respond to the kindness of God today? Do you need to receive salvation? Are you living, Christian, are you living in the reality that you belong to God and have received his kindness? What is God calling you to today? God, I thank you for who you are. We praise you for the kindness of your son, Jesus. That God, when we were far from you, you would span the distance of heaven to earth to come search us out. That God, even though you didn't have to save us, you have provided a way of salvation for us because you are a God who is trustworthy, who comes through on his word. And God, I pray for the person here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you, who's living, hiding from you, who's living crippled by their sin. God, would they turn to you today so they too may experience the kindness of Jesus. God, for your followers today, would we live in full allegiance, full loyalty to you because of who you are as a God of integrity as a God of intentional action as a God of intense love as a God of indisputable authority would we live how you have called us to live as your sons and daughters and would we see it change those around us